welcome to The Knowing Podcast. We're here to talk about healing, about insight, about cultivating and living from our own internal wisdom, and about the intention to live beautifully and compassionately as a human being during these times. We're really happy you're here. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to The Knowing Podcast. This is episode two. I'm here again with Allison. Good morning, Allison. Good morning. And we are thousands of, of kilometers, miles apart still. Allison <laughs> is in New York City. I'm uh, up in BC. And um, yeah, really excited to explore some really not simple topics today, um, kind of in a strange way, maybe moving to, if there is, an end point uh, to shamanic practice and to the healing of our, our whole selves we wanted to offer today what that might look like and, and why we feel like it's important to talk about that given the current experience that we're all going through, uh, this great pandemic and isolation and everything else. So how's everything feeling in New York, Alison? Uh, it's a little tricky. I feel like we're not really getting a lot of clear answers there's this to me to me this is how I'm feeling and I'm also not deep 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 in the news but what I am hearing is kind of this like uh always perpetually like oh in two weeks in two weeks in two Mm, weeks in two weeks and so it's just like someone please actually just tell us what's happening um now we have to wear masks um I'm in my little neighborhood in Brooklyn and um, it feels like there's a lot of like apprehension of other people. I'm trying to like smile mm. and acknowledge, you know, people's existence and that I'm a person and that even though our faces are covered, we're still like humans behind this. But I think there's just a lot of, of fear um, and yeah. just that like sideways glance of like what's going to happen. So it just, it feels a little tense. Um there's still runners out panting all over everybody, so no, we're not all tense, but <laughs> but a Some lot of people are letting tense. off steam. <laughs> Some people are letting off steam and breathing all over everybody else. Um, um, good, good. But yeah, it does just feel super uncertain, and I think that it's like we're kind of carrying this like title of epicenter of this pandemic here, mm, so it feels right, a little totally. like it feels a little strange to be yeah. in it in that way and it is I mean that that's exactly what I wanted to explore today um is this the question of what we do with uncertainty what we do with not knowing and being in a space I mean especially right now if you think about the normal ways that we kind of mitigate discomfort as human beings as we we get together we bond we share experience you know and I mean I don't think there's any amount of zoom calls that are going to assuage you know that that loss of connection to people and as you say like these weird sideways glances and distrust of each other of like you know do you have it do you have it and, right. and people interacting in in this very distant way we are we are put in this place of such intense discomfort and uncertainty and in a, in many ways you know the the ways that we would normally get away from that uncertainty the ways that we would find control have been taken away from us right and yeah. um you know i can speak for myself when i'm uncertain 
I move faster. I do more. Um, I used to eat, you know, because that was a way that I kind of found some comfort. I overexercise. Um, I pick fights. I'm really good at picking fights with people. And, I also pick um, fights. Good. That's my big one. Excellent. <laughs> it's like a superpower for me. I'm like, who can I get? Oh, not not even get pissed off at, but like, who can I get to be pissed at me? It's like I'm 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 actually kind of comfortable when I'm in a fight. It's yeah, super neurotic, um, but uh, yeah, it's you know these things that we do. To I say to clients all the time right now is is the things that you do to get away from the knife's edge, right? We're either going to one side or the other of this really intense discomfort. And, and on the knife's edge is this place of, of uncertainty and not knowing and, and a lot of fear. And usually, you know, we're either shutting it down, numbing out, maybe going to one side or kind of pushing it away by moving fast enough that we don't have to feel it. And, and these things have been stripped away from us right now. And we're seeing and feeling things that we have not seen and felt for maybe a lot of our adult lives, you know, and, and what are we doing with that? Mm. I also am curious that it's like how much are you feeling is yours and how much are you feeling that is also kind of like this contagion from other people where it's like you might be in your center about things and then the second you step outside and everyone's looking at you suspicious it is really hard not to look in return that it's just like well should should I be suspicious Mm -hmm. if I'm the only one who doesn't feel that way then maybe it's because I'm an idiot and I'm not seeing what I should be suspicious (laughs) about (laughs) well yes I mean I, I think what you're what I hear and what you're saying there though is like this this feeling of like, I'm good so long as nobody's in my bubble, right? We were like, <laughs> yes. you know, they, and, and I've, I've, you know, especially when you pass, a lot of people referencing that Ram Dass quote of like, you think you're enlightened, go spend a weekend with your parents. Because <laughs> when we are in our own bubble, right, and especially not interacting with our families, we can tell ourselves that we're just dialed, you know, we've got our shit tamped down, we are good. And then something happens and we go, oh, God damn it, like this person just upset my serenity here, you know, how dare they? And I, um, I, (laughs) this might be a a bit of an an offshoot story, but when I was at school, you know, I did a lot of studying, um, we did a lot of studying in this epidemiology class that I was taking in, in integrative healing. Um, looking at germ theory versus what's called terrain theory. And they were both these theories that emerged at roughly the same time in France, uh, one by Louis Pasteur, germ theory, and one by this guy named Claude Bernard. And he postulated that, you know, despite the fact that, yes, there are these tiny little infectious agents, you know, in the world that can make us sick, it really is the terrain of the individual or the environment that determines whether an infection is going to take hold, right? So mm-hmm. if a body is healthy and balanced and whatever, then the likelihood of getting sick is is, is lessened um, versus, you know, Pasteur's theory, which was these things get in your body, you get sick. And so you think about the outcomes of believing in either of those two theories, you know, with germ theory, we're focused on getting rid of the other, right? These things that might invade us or the the, the bad things. And, And so for the purposes of this sort of analogy is like, that can be like people, right? People who 
are act a certain way. They're pissy, they're grumpy, they're they're happy even. You know, these are sort of infectious energies in a sense. And so we can say, well, you know, it's the fault of those people, those infectious agents that now I'm feeling this, like how dare they? Or, mm. you know, and, and I, I invest a lot more energy in, in terrain theory for my own experiences is to say, what is it that is allowing this energy to come into me? And can I be, I know this might seem like a big stretch sometimes, but can I be grateful for that person pointing out that I carry that energy too? Because there's a kind mm. of resonance, you know, if you walk out and somebody's pissy and they make, quote unquote, make you pissy, you had that pissiness in you before and it just got turned on by that person, right? And mm. so can we be thankful for them going, kind of poking that part of us where we are not clear or not aligned or whatever we want to call it, right? Does that make sense? It does. It yeah. does. It's tricky, though, because then it becomes this, like, uh, I mean, it just doesn't give you any permission to to be a victim. <laughs> be a and I'm like, I, <laughs> I love being a victim. Um, where it's like, you know, it, it's... Where there is this thing that I always talk about with my friend in terms of like taking responsibility, but what about Mm -hmm. when you feel like you do take responsibility and you maybe overtake responsibility, especially if you're a pleaser where it's just like, how is this my fault? Is that, does that ever come into play? Yeah. I mean, the, the challenge I think with, with investigating our people-pleasing tendencies, if we have them, and we all do, because we are social creatures that are driven by, you know, a desire for belonging, unless we're total sociopaths. We, we, you're not a total sociopath. Yeah. It was not a total one night, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> not at all. Um, it, the, this, this pleasing, right? I mean, this is um, kind of unchecked desires for belonging, desires for affirmation of of your own value from those people around you, right? Mm -hmm. But if we are honest, I think, and and truly aware of what is going on inside of ourselves, we may be passive and really overly generous with other people, but how much anger and how much resentment are we actually still feeling inside? The energy is still right. there. It's just not going somewhere, right? And this is, you know, I, I work with a lot of um, women, you know, we tend to do this fairly well, is is we we want to be nice. We've been conditioned by a system that says, you know, a nice woman is a, is a good woman and, and this is how you should be is nice. But often we're still thinking the shitty things inside. We're still feeling them, right? Right. right. And, and we're nice, but so, I mean, the energy's still there. And, and, and I mean, we have to, I guess, trust ourselves or, or think that we are, we are allowed to express our true voices in, in telling people, no, I'm not okay with that. You know, hopefully not from that, like, severely furious voice, because I, I, I'm not an advocate of, of just, you know, unleashing our fury on people. Um, but that to recognize that even as we are nice to the outside world, we're very unnice to ourselves, unkind to our yeah. inner world. And so, like, the damage is still being done, in a sense, right? We're just right. being martyrs. So, and that's maybe a a whole other episode kind of dialogue that we could have about that kind of energy. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it is this, you know, the the uncertainty right now of, of, we don't know what this is going to look like. 
We don't know really where this came from in a sense. I mean, you know, you can test or trace the genetic lineages of the virus and everyone, you know, says this is this is where it came from. But we are in this era of um, a lack of objective truth, you know, where it's like people just go, no, I dis, I don't want to believe that. So I'm not going to. Right? And and people feel rather justified in doing that. And then they can find their own truth to find certainty, right? They can find somebody who they can blame it on or some story, be that, you know, 5G or the Chinese or whatever, to find right. some sense of solidity. And this is, again, this, like, there is no end goal in shamanic practice and in, in healing per se, but in this in this lifetime as a human being, there is the possibility, I know very, very strongly, of all of us um, doing something that is is sometimes called, uh, especially like in Carlos Castaneda's writings, you know, meeting the unknown, sitting in the unknown. This is the, the grand paradox of like knowing, you know, is, is, is coming into a knowing about our, our worth and our, our purpose here and our our necessity to the entire system, but we we come into that knowing so that we can be comfortable in the not knowing because this is a mystery. Life is a mystery. And can we be totally open to it? Mm-hmm. And in this moment, we're seeing all the ways that we're not open to it and all the ways that we try to find certainty by blaming ourselves or other people or again, numbing out or moving fast or doing whatever. But those things have been kind of taken away from us. I think the part about that that the, confuses me the most maybe is, I don't know if it's just this uneasiness around if I actually do relax into everything that's happened and I'm open and receptive, that that will somehow fall into complacency. And I think mm-hmm. that that is something that does kind of toe the line, I think, especially in more, quote, spiritual communities where it becomes, um, I'm so receptive, I become inactive. And I think that it's like before, it's like going through the back door that it's like, I know I don't want to be complacent and I don't want to be inactive, so I will just never let myself relax at all. Right, right, totally. And it's, I mean, that's a pretty interesting um, story, you know, that emerges out of the ego mind. is like, if you don't feel... Um, I mean, often what is like fear-based pressure, you know, to like do something and fix something and change something. If you actually meet this moment or the world or yourself and say, I'm okay, that this myth, this story tells you that then you're just going to like, I don't know, lay on the couch and eat bonbons all day and just like get (laughs) super fat and never do anything with your life, right? Like there's, there's, and it, I don't think... I don't think this myth, this this ego story, is um, is particularly bad because I think that human beings. I mean, you think about our experience on this planet; it has been a struggle, you know. And we've had to work hard, and and there's this feeling of like, if you're not working hard, then you're you're gonna die. You're gonna something's gonna eat you. Something's you know, right. your life is gonna fall apart. So there is a, a well intentioned kind of root to the the premise and the origin the origins of this story. But when we see it kind of um, playing out in modern society now, where quite honestly, most of us are not going to be eaten by something on a day-to-day basis. We're not, you know, we don't have to prove ourselves in the same way. We don't live in the same kind of 
uh, tribally designed societies, you know, and and so this is an old story that I think, you know, it, it, it bears sort of, or it requires us to investigate and say, what do I lose? What do I lose from, you know, abiding by this story? And what, what might I gain by choosing a different story? I personally, you know, again, as a, as a recovered, as, as best as I think I can in this lifetime, perfectionist, um, I spent most of my uh, I mean, teen years just like driving myself to, you know, academic success and all sorts of like people pleasing kind of things, trying to get accolades and accomplishments and stuff. And then in my 20s was um, like over exercising. And I mean, I, I broke both of my legs running and I kept running because oh I was God. like, no, I need to like, you know, I need to prove myself. And and I, I just couldn't slow down because that story was so intensely embedded in me that if I stopped, if I loved myself, then I would be mush. I would be a, a useless puddle, you know. And and it, I think it's the scariest, probably the scariest thing in the world that humans, you know, are kind of asked to do is to stop and to say, right. in this moment, you know, can you trust that y- there is there is a motivation that emerges and 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 comes out of the soul self in each of us that is not based in fear it's not based in like okay you're you're there's a deficit here you need to go fix yourself or do something to fill this hole it's based in in and it originates from like this this truthful aligned connected space in each of us and i mean the I'm still driven, you know, but I, I listen to my body. I would never, you know, hurt my body to keep pushing, you know, towards a goal or whatever. And I, I listen to my my family and I, you know, you, you get feedback and you find a, a sweet balance. But I don't, I don't know if there's any way except, you know, pausing and turning towards that story and saying, wait a second, like, what is my belief here? And do I actually think that I, do you really think you could ever become a complacent, totally complacent person? Not totally. I do feel like I have this rhythm of like, I'll push really hard and be very productive. And then I will just be Mm -hmm. so depleted that it's just like, I mean, I love being lazy. I love doing absolutely nothing, but then I have all this guilt around it. So I feel like Mm -hmm. I kind of have this, this one or the pendulum swings very far. So I don't think I could be that for long, but I definitely do. There's just some guilt there. I think that it's like, I'm somehow Mm -hmm. not doing enough. And I think that there's also this little catch that happens where it's like, I feel that it's easy to be, kind of good at living in a space when you know that there's an end date or you know like oh I will receive this at the end and so it's kind of like you know the reward for patience is just more patience instead of like oh I was patient (laughs) and now I get this like real juicy thing at the end so it's not like the sexiest Uh cell you know no, it's like the least sexy sell. It's like you you do this and then you're just going to get more work and more, you know, required to show up even more uh, aligned <laughs> in your life, you know. Yes. It is. But I mean, look at that programming, right? If you th- yeah. look at what all of us were programmed into through conventional educational systems of saying you if this if you do this, then you get this right. There's this linear reward process that we're all trained into. And what's the alternative? Right. If we're not doing that, if we're not seeking an external acknowledgement of like, okay, you're allowed to like yourself now, how do you decide 
that you're okay? Like, what's what's the option? Right. Well, I think that it becomes a thing where it's like, what's next? That's why there's always there's always mm-hmm. the next accomplishment. And as soon as you're about right, right. to actually meet the goal, the goalpost moves further. Totally. That's the, I mean, that is what linear kind of processes set up for us is this idea that like you you can run towards this, but when you get there, you it's not where you want to be. You know, you're chasing the end of a rainbow and the rainbow's moved again. And, and then like, what now? You know, okay, we'll keep chasing. And to, to pause, and I mean, this is, you know, a little off topic, sort of. I mean, it's all on topic always, I guess. But to pause and say you know, can I acknowledge the anxiety that's in me? Can I acknowledge these emotions that are actually what is motivating that crazy chasing of a goal, right? And this incessant motivation towards something more, something, you know, different in ourselves. Can I pause and go, what is that? Like, where where do I feel that in my body and where did where did it come from you know and a certain amount of of story around it of tracing it through our childhood or whatever can be really beneficial but just acknowledging that that's what makes us do things most of the time is because we don't want to feel something and again to draw this back to you know sort of where we started today is that's what we can't do anymore in this moment or, or we you know the our ability to do that is lessened because our ways of, of, you know, keeping going have been removed from us. Right. And, and now it's like, okay, what, what is down there? You know, I mean, I was sharing with you, Alison, yesterday, just the, like, and, and this morning of the, the picking fight part of my brain, the, you know, like I, I didn't realize was kind of still there. And in this space of things changing and, and quite honestly, again, I, I recognize my privilege in that I live in the middle of the woods with my family and our lives are very kind of normal right now, you know, and we're kind of in an isolation a lot of the time anyways. And my, I just work from home, so it's, it's not a big deal, but it's still, there's, there's change. There's still uncertainty. I don't know what's going to happen, you know, next year. My husband's a teacher some, and like, will he go back to work? And so in that place of uncertainty, I'm seeing what's in me that I don't like feeling, you know, this like aggression or this, this frustration. And, and that's a good thing. Like this is this like kind of moment in time that we're being offered by the system to say, okay, what drives you into your habitual kind of responses and ways of being in the world and can you instead turn towards that and feel it and go holy shit like what's in the basement of my own being right Mm -hmm. so how how do you do that and also say I'm okay where it's like I'm willing to look at all my shit like I'll Mm -hmm. look at it but Mm -hmm. what doesn't often come with like looking at all of my shit is to be able to say and also I'm okay, and also I love myself. I mean, there Mm -hmm. is this, I mean, even if we're looking at like Ubuntu, or I I believe is like the African belief that I am because we are, and you are only you Mm -hmm. in relationship to other Mm -hmm. people. So it's like, how do we not always seek outside of ourselves for just someone to tell us we're doing a good job? I think that that's Mm -hmm. like what really we're maybe all looking for is to just have mm. some confirmation yeah because we don't believe ourselves i mean you know there's there's many 
paths into that work. Um, say from a more Western psychological perspective, I do a lot of work with people and you and I, Alison, have explored some of this on the concept of inner parenting work, right? Of if we, if we really want to come into our own, you know, adult state, our, our true maturity as an individual, I believe and, and know very deeply that like it is necessary that we become a good parent to ourselves. We're still looking for the parents we didn't have in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And we're we're looking for other people to fill those voids that very naturally are going to be there if you were raised by a human being. You know, your parents can't give you, couldn't give you everything. And so then we go and seek people out in the world who might give us that. And then at the same time, though, our psyche is programmed to not receive it either because it's scared of it. It's scared of what it doesn't know. And so we're in this like kind of perpetual cycle of being disappointed and then knowing kind of what we want, but then expecting other people to fulfill it for us. And we have right. to look at that and say, well, okay, what did I need? What do I need to do for myself? You know, I, um, I, I, I love my father, but my father didn't pay bills as a child. When I was a kid, I remember him taking the bills that would come in the mail and he would put them in a plastic bag unopened and he would light the fire with them. And I remember as a kid being like, what in the shit? Like, I'm pretty sure that those are important, you know, like, and it would be like, you know, notices from the bank and everything else. And he'd be like, oh, whatever, I'll, you know, they'll get back to us. And I was like, okay, I guess that's the way you deal with stuff, right? And so when I got older, I was just shit with money, you know, like I'd overspend and I, I I wouldn't actually look at my bank account. Like I was too scared to actually acknowledge what was in there. And then lo and behold, there'd be nothing in there and I'd be all freaked out. And, and so at some point in my adult experience, you know, I had to sit down and go, okay, my dad did not give me that. He did not teach me how to deal with money. And, you know, my, my mom didn't really either. And it wasn't something that was just sort of naturally inherent in me. And so I had to parent myself and say, mm-hmm. okay, you have to learn how to manage your, your money. You have to you know, open bills, you know, and, and it was a struggle. It's not easy, but, you know, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't function as an, as a whole, you know, integrated individual if, if that component of me was missing, you know, and, and you and I have this conversation a lot about spiritual practice being the nuts and bolts of like just getting shit done in the, in the day, you know, in your life yeah. and that those things are important. And, you know, there, again, this is probably a bigger topic than, uh, we'll get into today, but, you know, the inner mother energy teaches us how to receive love, and this often relates to um, our creativity and our sexuality and our, you know, relationship with food and the relationship with the body, the father energy. And I'm not saying that this necessarily comes from a mother or a father, but someone who carries the masculine energy or the feminine energy. And obviously we're all a mix of, of both. But this, the masculine energy says, what are you going to do out in the world, right? And so whether we are struggling with what we're doing out in the world or whether we're loving ourselves, there is, you know, a a call to parenting ourselves better. Right. And Mm. and what does that look like? What kind of parent do you want to have? And I've done this exercise with ladies, medicine, healing groups that I've, I've facilitated over the years. And I say, you know, especially with the inner father figure, for whatever reason, I find that it's very beneficial for you to come up with this 
a mythological or like a, a, a character, you know, to represent your inner father who, who starts to speak to you in your mind. And I always say to people that like mine is like he, he's Hugh Jackman, but he's um, I really like Hugh Jackman. I mean, he's just and he's like funny and smart and he meditates and he's just like on it, you know, and and so he's in my head. And then but he's got like Albert Einstein's sort of, you know, sentimentality and humor and, and wisdom and and they're all they're they're you know together and I mean I still I love and and obviously deeply not obviously but deeply appreciate my own father but he didn't supply all of the things that I needed to to function well I think in the world and so this other being does and I want <laughs> I just as an aside because it's quite funny but I, I work with this amazing indigenous woman frequently and uh, so we were doing some inner father work because um, she she didn't have a present father when she was a child. And so I said, you know, you need to think of someone who, you know, you want to be your father. And like, not a moment of hesitation. And she's like, oh, it's Gandalf. And I was like, what? <laughs> Seriously? Like that's, and she's like, oh, no, no, I, I want him to be my dad. And I was like, okay, sweet. That's, that's who your dad's going to be. And she still, that's she's awesome. like, Gandalf is with me all the time. And like, she's, she, mm-hmm. it's just, it's phenomenal, you know, so that kind of energy we need to we need to practice right and we need to look at fulfilling those those needs within ourselves and this is again not to suggest or imply that i think it's you know important or possible for people to be perfectly independent you know we are interdependent beings and you can still ask other people for help in this journey and and ask your partner and your family members and stuff to help you cultivate, you know, a sense of love for yourself or appreciation for your gifts. But even that is so difficult for people to even start to request things of the people around them or or speak their needs, you know, that we need to do a certain amount of inner work sometimes to to then even be able to take those steps kind of outwards. Ooh, I think that is the that is the thing I struggle with the most that it's like mm, trying to become independent so I can become interdependent feels totally (laughs) very confusing (laughs) Uh totally and this uh, you know the conversations that we've often had around um letting yourself be loved by the earth and that as a core practice to to developing this sense of of I mean and, and independence is kind of a funny word for it I mean I prefer in a sense, you know, implying that this is the part of the knowing is that when when we let ourselves be loved, we're going to let ourselves be here without conditions, right? We're going to let mm. ourselves say, I'm allowed to be here and I don't have to do anything to prove my value or my worth, right? right. And nothing can teach us that except for the earth. And the earth in its consistent generosity you know this is this is what every shamanic and buddhist lineage you know says that let let the earth love you let remind yourself that the trees are making your oxygen for you and and they love you they they want you to be here you know i have such a profound appreciation for robin wall kimmer's work um and the teachings of you know looking at science and and spirituality and indigenous wisdom and stuff and and just what she is constantly saying is, is, you know, that the world is, is just waiting to love human beings and we're, we're wounded. And, and so we, again, think, we think that we don't deserve love 
And when we look out, you know, into the world, we kind of find reasons to to think that the world is not loving. And you can find those, you know, like you, you're always going to be able to find some animal that wants to eat you and go, oh, you know, nature, nature is, is dangerous and, and terrifying. But we can, if we train ourselves, you know, we can find what is, is loving there. And it's, it's just as, if not more available to us. But that's, mm. that's, you know, the jump, the, the step that each individual has to take to say, can I, can I trust that? Right. Right. And can I feel deserving of it? Absolutely. But maybe even, you know, to, to let that secondary question relax for a second and just go, can I just let love in? You know, is it possible? Because we say, well, we want love. We, we want, you know, to feel like we belong. And yet we, we push it away all the time, right? And, and I mean, in small things, this is, you know, in the yoga tradition of like taking the breath in and go, this is prana, this is spirit. You know, this is energy that is, is for you. Take it in. You know, and and as we breathe in, go, wow, I am I am loved, you know, and that's that's enough. We don't have to go then, okay, then that means that you're worthy and now you should set up an Instagram account and, and you know, be famous <laughs> or whatever. Like it's it's just let that the simplicity of that experience um it just innervate your being and then eventually, you know, the the feeling is again, this kind of like emergence that happens. I, I've talked to a lot of people where they're like, I just realized that, yeah, I'm loved, you know, like I'm, I'm okay. The earth wants to support me. And, and it just sort of kind of happens over time. Mm. Right. That feels good. That feels really true. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I mean, the, the, the reality of how simple the practices are is frustrating I think to us as modern humans you know as you were mentioning in the last episode you know is this just massive amount of information and practices and everything else that's available to us and it's so beautiful to be able to have you know access to these these lineages of wisdom and teachings and stuff and I mean I'm a book addict you know if ever there was one but there's nothing that can go that can substitute for those simple practices of taking a breath, of being grateful, you know, and we're going to do one of the not so distant future episodes on this, these, these core shamanic tools, as they're called, you know, of like really basic, not easy, but basic ways of training the mind to, to settle, to be okay. And to, to meet this moment, you know, and, and then again, this is what we all need in this moment is is the ability to um, sit with this uncertainty and not do our habitual thing, right? Not either yeah. through the mind by making up some story, you know, about how we know something that somebody else doesn't know or we've figured out, you know, what's happening and what's going to happen um, or through the body by either numbing out or, you know, as, as you're saying, like going out for lots and lots of jogs. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but it's, you know, it can be a way that we run away from stuff, right? Can we stay? Can we stay on the the edge of the knife and just feel these feelings? And, and like, they're going to be intense. They're, they're feelings that have been chasing us our whole lives. Right. And we don't easily pause and turn towards them. So if you were to offer us something to do until the next episode, would it be that? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's the, yeah, 
I mean, maybe as a a means of of starting your practices. I mean, obviously, I would imagine that most people listening are already rather entrenched and, and connected to a lot of spiritual practices, but to remind ourselves of the simplicity of, um, of being grateful, you know, and of, of breathing, of just saying, here is this moment. I am in this moment. I don't even need to go to the place of saying I am safe. I am whatever, you know, but I'm just, I'm here. Can Mm -hmm. I receive this breath, right? To practice that is the divine feminine energy right there is saying can I be receptive to this moment and the mind of course is going to be going no 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 but that the virus and the people and the economy and all of these things are going sideways and you should think about them you know and and it's it's a it's a challenge right and I think yeah I was with you I think I was discussing this Alison that the Buddhists they say that this time you know, this, this sort of epoch of time that we're in as human beings is, is simultaneously both the most uh, difficult and the easiest time to become enlightened that has ever existed on the planet. You know, it is the most difficult because we have so many ways of distracting ourselves, so many ways of getting away from, you know, what we're actually feeling or, you know, keeping ourselves busy or numbing out or whatever. But it's also the easiest because in times of great pressure and intensity, you know, there is this possibility of the stripping away of, of all of our mechanisms of, you know, control and, and how we kind of habitually react to, to circumstance. And we can go, no, like, this is enough. I'm going to, I'm going to face this, or I'm going to meet this, or I'm going to, you know, address what it is that's actually within me. And I mean, this is, you know, what you hear from people who have spontaneous healing experiences is that they just, they dropped everything. They dropped it all. And they, mm. they connected with some larger spiritual experience and then everything changed, right? And and I, I know that that is possible in these really intense times that we need to maybe simplify it first, you know, and say, can I just feel this breath? And I uh, was listening to on being, they re-released an episode with David Stendhal Rast, who's this um, Benedictine monk. I think he's Benedictine or Franciscan. Um, It's just like the most beautiful interview, really just such a thoughtful, loving person, you know. Um, But he's talking about every, everything coming from the earth. You know, if we, if we, we want to be grateful you know everything that is around you your body you are made of the earth your food is made of the earth everyone you love is made of the earth and so if you're if you're really struggling for something to be grateful for and again you know we always want to acknowledge I know my privilege as best as I possibly can but all of us are nourished and loved by the earth no matter where you are and that earth is making air for you and we can still cultivate that experience by going thank you you know thank you to this this natural magnificent universe that we we abide within you know and that's that's available and that is such profound medicine I think for right now because we are so wanting to get away from feelings right and we we're going to drive ourselves crazy if we stay in this kind of state not Mm. easy but in that space you know there is that does it It does, because it feels possible, and I feel like that actually takes into consideration this, like, 
you know, never feeling like things are equal or that we all have enough. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. we might not all have the same thing, but we all do have something. And and Mm -hmm. gratitude practices can sometimes feel trite, I guess, where it's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. let me like search for something to (laughs) to be thankful for. And and you kind of don't want it to be as hard as it is, but it's like being grateful for the simple things too, I think is an important reminder that it's like, okay, I might not have everything, but I have this breath in this moment. I feel like even just something that simple is helpful to me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Again, David Sander Ross was um, sort of will bungle this quote, I'm sure, but he said something along the lines of, you know, we cannot be grateful for everything, like the, you know, every event or like people often want to find something to be grateful for, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that can set up, you know, a real sense of injustice or unfairness or this feeling of like, well, I don't have what they have, you know, in comparison and, and, it, but he says we can be grateful in each moment, you know, and that we are here and that there's this, this breath that is available to us, you know, and, and I think that that's what elevates people out of all states of being, whether that be them having a lot, you know, in a kind of economic or capitalist kind of perspective of being rich, but being so deeply spiritually deprived, or having very little and having, you know, great connection to community or somewhere, you know, on that continuum and in, in various whatever manifestations, we can all pause and say, here's this breath. I'm going to take it in and be grateful for this one moment, right? And mm-hmm. and it's, I mean, on a neurobiological level, it is retraining our brain to to seek what is beautiful and to seek being in this moment and being receptive to it. And I think that that's, you know, it is such, it is a foundational practice for this this path of, of knowing, um, but also such a transformative medicine in its simplicity for right now. I don't, I go for it. If you want to, you know, have rituals and, and thank the moon and be really specific about, you know, who you're engaging with and, and the spiritual energies that you're, you're wanting to connect with. I think those are all beautiful, but I think sometimes too much complexity is, is confounding, you know, it's, it's distorting to our, our, um, sense of uh, being here right now you know and just boiling down to the the simple stuff so yeah yeah all right so onward i guess yeah yeah <laughs> onward <laughs> upward upwards and onwards or inwards inwards let's inwards. say inwards That's, yes. it sounds like a really weird like motto to have for a you know <laughs> inwards inwards we go <laughs> We're not, we're not going up. We're not going down. We're not probably even going sideways. We're definitely going in though. So, but well, thank yeah, you so think, much for, for sharing all oh, of that. I feel like that feels like a good how to get us good out of our what and why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's what we come back to, you know, over and over and over again. And it, it sometimes astounds me, you know, the simplicity of stopping and noticing the feeling of the bubbles and the water as I'm washing the dishes and just going, I can be grateful in this moment. I don't have to be grateful that I have dishes to wash or like the specifics <laughs> of it, you know? Right. Sometimes I can and sometimes I do, but it's just in this moment, there's something beautiful. There is, there's, and, and you know, 
the challenge there too is is then we we don't want to set it up so that we are beating ourselves up when we can't find something beautiful so maybe just finding the breath you know and saying can i just breathe and be receptive to this one cycle of an inhalation and an exhalation and and see what happens so so i hope that this i hope this has been helpful and and meaningful for everyone listening uh, again, as we mentioned in the last podcast, if you have any questions or you'd like us to explore certain topics, um, we are very open to any sort of suggestions or requests. Uh, you can find Alison and myself um, on Instagram, and uh, I think I'll maybe put that in the show notes now that are just our addresses and stuff so that people can connect with us if you so desire. Yeah, but um, we will be back in this space soon and uh, look forward to it. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. Talk soon. Okay, bye. The Knowing is an IntelliKey production and was recorded and produced on the traditional unceded territory of the Northern Sequipmic people. Music, editing, and production by Brent Morton at Bell Tower Audio. May our hearts and minds remain open. May we meet this day with equanimity and compassion. And may we remember our belonging to this earth, to each other, and to all that is.